I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. All right, good to have you tuning in tonight, man. A quick one for the Calgary Hitmen in WHL exhibition play at the downtown community rink. They jump up 1-0 on the Edmonton Oil Kings just Kicking off in Regina, the U of A Golden Bears taking on the Rams in Canada West football action. Bears are 0-1. The Rams are 1-0. The Blue Jays trail Tampa 4-0. That is in the bottom of the seventh. And early in the third quarter in Montreal, it is uh, Montreal leading the BC Lions 14-7. They're about uh, three minutes into the second half. It was 14-0 for the Owls. BC got a touchdown late in the first half. Uh, the Edmonton Wildcats 1-2 and two record visiting the Calgary Colts tomorrow at 7 Prairie Football Conference. The Edmonton Huskies are on a bye. FC Edmonton getting ready for a big home game on Wednesday against Cavalry FC. That'll be uh, at Clark Stadium again Wednesday at 7. We'll have a little more on that match coming up next week here on Inside Sports. You can text 630-630. Our phone number is 780-496-0063. So we have Murr the Stamps guy text again. We now have another texter who refers to himself as the Murmeister, who simply says if the Eskimos can score a touchdown, then they will win against Calgary. Well, I'm all for touchdowns. I am all for touchdowns. And uh, Mark writing in, he says, now I'm gonna give I'm I'm gonna give this plug for Mark because he came into studio with a colleague from the Edmonton Table Hockey League. He says, hey, Reed, could you give the Edmonton Table Hockey League Centennial Tournament a shout-out Saturday, September 14th, West Edmonton Mall, 9.30 to 6. All right, there you go. I was glad I had those guys on a few months ago. Very, uh, very interesting what they do with the Table Hockey League. Of course, the uh, newest Edmonton Oiler, Riley Shan, signed yesterday, one-year contract worth $900,000. And one of the areas he will have to help, and this is a must-improve for the Edmonton Oilers, if they are going to get back into the playoffs, that is the penalty kill. Dismal last season, 30th in the 31-team NHL, and Shane hopes he can help there. I think just the, the mindset, the chemistry you have between uh, between partners there. and um, I mean, once you can click and you can build momentum, it's just like any part of the game. You, you go out there and you take pride in it, and um, you build momentum for the team. And um, I think it's a challenge, obviously. It's a not the most fun part of the game, but when you can go out there and block some shots and kill some penalties in a crucial part of the game, you feel good about yourselves and, um, and the team can take that and roll with it. So, uh, yeah, we just got to kind of get started, get things figured out and build some momentum. I think it'll be fine. Well, 
it's September 6th, so we can be optimistic. We'll see how some of the new guys play. What I liked hearing there, and that was from Shane being on the show last night, that he seems to embrace being a penalty killer. He's he's had to do it before. I gave that stat last night. He played about 13 and a half minutes per game last year with Florida and Pittsburgh. He played about two of those minutes per game on the penalty kill. So uh, he gets out there, took a lot of face-offs shorthanded. And he knows that's his role, and he's done it before. And I think the Oilers are hoping guys like Archibald and uh, uh, Archibald and Granlund are, are used to being that role and accept that it embrace it. Because I think part of the problem the last couple of years for the Oilers is they had penalty killers who t- some of them ha- had never really had to do it a lot before, and they were kind of learning it on the fly. And, and I'm thinking maybe, you know, if Strom and Kara, I know Strom's no longer here. And, and to be fair, they, they improved at it a couple of years ago. But they, they were learning that role and some reliable penalty killers that the Oilers had who had embraced that roles in, in, in their careers, like Letestu, like Hendricks, like Pouliot, you know, m- moved on for various reasons over the years. So hopefully having some guys who I... Because I, I, I think sometimes the Oilers used guys killing penalties who didn't identify as penalty killers. They were doing it because they had to, not because they embraced it or necessarily wanted to do it, as we bring in Bob Stoffer, host of Oilers Now, noon to two every day on 6.30 Chet. Hey, Bob. Hey, Reed. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for uh, checking in. True or false on my exposition there about the guys embracing the PK? Uh, I would slightly, I just waited for the anthem to go here at the hockey game, Reed. Uh, I would disagree with you on a couple things. Uh, first of all, uh, involving Mark Letestu. I think what happened with him is he ended up on the power play as well. And he couldn't, the, the genesis of the Oilers' failure on the penalty kill really started in November of 2016, which was a 103-point season. Uh, the team was second in the NHL in penalty killing uh, in November and Anton Lander, believe it or not, not a great five-on-five player, but a very effective penalty killer, was a big loss uh, for uh, the Edmonton Oilers, I think, at that time. I'm with you on Pouliot. He was a pretty good penalty killer. Some would have suggested that Pete Chiarelli maybe should have waited a, another year to buy out uh, Pouliot. Others would have said maybe there might have been an opportunity at some stage to capitalize on trading uh, Benoit Pouliot. And then... Uh, Oh, in Latestu's case, I don't think he was a great penalty killer for the organization. No, I think he was a great power play guy for the organization. And that was unsuspected, that he would be as good a first-unit power play guy. Uh, in terms of some of the other guys, I would over, overall I would agree with you, but just in terms of a couple of the specifics that you mentioned, I might be in slight disagreement. Like I just think that certain guys got overused, and that's also the other byproduct of what Ken Holland has done here, is he is lessen the workload moving forward that we're going to need to see uh, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl out on the ice. Uh, they, they get a guy in Riley Sheehan that can win some draws. We'll see whether or not Gaetan Haas, you know, apparently he's pretty good in the faceoffs. That's what Dave Tippett told me. Uh, but definitely the three guys you mentioned, you know, Marcus Granlin along with uh, Riley Sheehan now and and uh, Archibald will be expected to kill penalties. And Archibald played a little bit of center in his right shot as well. And that's going to give them three new PK guys that will six that they use in rotation. Yeah, you know, f- fair response for sure. Um, and, and again, my, my point is you didn't hear a lot of guys the last couple of years really 
I mean, obviously they wanted to do well with it, but like identifying themselves as saying, I will play the ugly minutes. Like I'll, I'll do it. I, I understand I have to do it. I, I don't know if you've heard, you heard that with as much commitment from, from a lot of players. Cause some guys were asked to PK, to PK out almost because there was nobody else to do it. You know, so, it's interesting Reed. One of the reasons that I think they're going to have a greater chance for success here with some of these guys in these roles, these guys are all going to be hungry. They're all in on one year deal. Shan's in on a one-year deal. It's basically a one-year NHL tryout, uh, you know, for Gaetan Haas. Potentially, Joel Kim Nygaard is another guy who you'd think, based on speed, you know, might have a chance to be an effective penalty killer. This is a, you know, he comes in on a one-year deal. Archibald's on a one-year deal. Granlin's in on a one-year deal. And guys are hungry in those situations. And the other thing is, is Ken Holland hasn't tied anybody to longer than a one-year deal. And let's face it, I'm sure you found this. But since the Oilers consummated the trade Lucic for James Neal, the attitude from some of the more harsher critics, harsher voices out there on the Oilers Twitterverse and that sort of thing has changed. Because he moved what was seemingly an unmovable contract, and the moves that have been made have been pragmatic. Shan was a pragmatic move. They needed more depth at center. Uh, so now they get a little bit of coverage there. So we'll see where it goes moving forward. But they've got guys better suited for it. And they've also got guys that are hungry for it. Bob, what are you watching tonight? Where are you? I'm at Claire Drake. It's Alberta and UBC. Bears are sitting a lot of their veterans, but they got, you know, 14 new recruits in, 12 that are going to you know, be playing by the end of October this year. Uh, a couple guys that are redshirting this season, but Alberta's got a lot of talent. It's the first game of the year, and I'm not going to get a chance to see these guys for another month, so I wanted to come down and check them out. And obviously... Uh, we have a game tomorrow night down in Calgary at the Flames rookies and the Oilers rookies. Yeah, and or, sorry, uh, in Red Deer. In Red Deer. In, in Red Deer. And I mentioned U of A football underway in Regina, and I'm just on the U of A football uh, Twitter account, and the Canada West stream uh, does not have updates. Oh, wait, no, I think it does. Scoreless about five minutes in. I got to tell you, Bob, I, you went to that game. Uh, I was kind of following it online during my show, and then I, I watched the extended highlights after. I mean, the Bears down 30 to 13 at the half. To the perennial powerhouse Dinos, they they had a couple of drives with a chance to take the lead in the fourth quarter and settle for field goals. They lost by ten, but really it was a three-point game. I, I mean, they, yeah. they should have won the game. Yeah, like they dominated the second half of the game. Reed, there was 500 yards of penalties in that game. Like everything got called. There must have been six unnecessary roughness penalties on the Golden Bears and four in Calgary. You're right. Calgary's the preseason coach's poll favorite. To win the conference, they won the conference last year. They have the reigning uh, Heck Brighton Award winner as their quarterback. Alberta is about a year away there from being pretty good, and they were pretty good, as you would recall, in the mid 2000s. They went seven and one in back-to-back years when Blake Dermott and myself did the games. It's been a while since they've been at that level. All right, got a text here from Wayne Bob. Before he came on, I called uh, Bo Levi Mitchell, one of the most hated sports figures in Edmonton. Uh, Wayne says uh, he may be one of the most hated sports figures at Edmonton, but he's also the best quarterback in the CFL. I'm an Eskimo fan, but it's pretty evident who the best QB is. Uh, great game last night for the other Green and Gold football team. My Packers were able to make it past the Bears in an absolutely thrilling defensive game. Aaron Rodgers is a thrill to watch. Well, I was saying I didn't watch much of the NFL game because I was watching Bianca. Bo Levi is the best quarterback in the league, Wayne. I, I, I don't deny that. He's not popular in Edmonton because he beats the Eskimos almost all the time. Uh, Bob, you and I have had a lot of off-air discussions about the green and gold. 
what has to happen tomorrow for them to have success against the Stamps? Well, I gotta, they got to be disciplined because it always seems like that team, you know, it's a frenetic, undisciplined team. Uh, and the, the, the obvious, give me, based on your uh, attempted at, uh, poetry over the course of Tuesday or Wednesday, whatever you put that thing out, got to put the ball in the end zone, too. And they haven't good, done that against a good team. I think the Eskimos are probably the third or fourth best team in the league. The problem is Calgary has basically been the best team in the CFL for 15 years. Like the Eskimos, for a number of years, I mean, 30-plus years, they made the playoffs, and they could have, could have won the Great Cup. You know, the last, I mean, U Campbell left basically in 2006. It was the Chosers from that point on in 07. The Stamps have been the best organization, and Edmonton's going to have to reevaluate why that's the case and ask some hard questions moving forward. That said, in the CFL, there's eight teams. You know, usually a couple teams in the East are crappy every year. So you always got a chance, right? So I, I'm going to be intrigued to see what happens this weekend. Reed, is there not a bye week after this week? Yeah, the Eskimos are on a bye after this week, and then they host I, Hammer I, on the 20th. Well, I hope that well, – and they've got Hammer twice, don't they? they got Hamilton yep. twice here. Now, they're going to have like, – you know, I, I hope they can get to 10-8, and 8, but it might be a challenge to get to 10-8 and 8 at this stage for Edmonton. Yeah, big one tomorrow. Quick, quick, I didn't even ask you about the rookie game. I got an interview with Logan Day coming up. Uh, I, I know you get a lot on your show. People have been saying to me, uh, you know, is, is Bouchard going to be on the team? Look I, look, I think of the guys who are in rookie camp, Benson has the best chance to be an oiler. And then, like I'm talking early this season. Yeah. And then maybe Marodi. I mean, Yamamoto's been pretty open that his, his wrist isn't quite there yet, though he feels he's, he's not, yeah, he's not playing tomorrow, yeah. despite the fact that he was on the first line today, as you know. Yeah. So um, I think I think Benson really has a chance to push here. I, I don't know about anybody, anybody else, though. Well, if Benson pushes, then our veterans get moved off the team. Like, because they basically got 15 veteran forwards, excluding Brodziak, who, as we know now, is, and we've known all offseason, there was a distinct possibility. He wasn't going to be able to play. So uh, I would concur. I think Benson's got a great chance to make it. And, you know, Haas and uh, Nygaard are rookies too, but they're they're European veterans, so they're in a little bit different spot. So uh, it's going to be intriguing to see at what level Bouchard and Samarukov are at as well because Samarukov has been a revelation for this organization over the last calendar year. All right, Bob, thanks for doing this while you're at the game, buddy. I'll see you tomorrow. No score, six minutes in. That is Bob Stoffer at Claire Drake Arena. Preseason action between the Alberta Golden Bears and uh, UBC. Always great to have Bob check in. Uh, I can't believe this person has called in. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know why he's calling. But it's Scott in Boston on September 6th calling in. You said you weren't going to call till the new season started. Yet here you are, Scott, calling your buddy Reed. What's going on? Reed, good evening, sir. Or is it still afternoon out there? Let me look at the clock. It's You're three six, hours behind. It's seven nineteen. Right. We're two. All hours right. Good behind. evening. I said new season. I consider this the new season, Reed. We're here. Here we. Actually, it's not camp yet, but we're getting there. I just that. To anyone listening who doesn't know, I, I called last season, what, Reed? I would say once every five games, me, you, and Rob Brown would have right. some fun. More than and that. And I hope yes. Rob is uh, your co-host again this year. Is he post-game? Yes. Awesome. I tell, tell Rob, if he's listening, I've got, we end every call with some trivia questions, remember? I've got some good ones. I believe our record was like, I don't know, out of 10. I think he got six out of 10, but we'll have some fun again. All right, here we go, Reed. And again, let me know when I'm running out of time, because I could talk all night. But to anyone who's listening out there in Canada, I love Edmonton. I'm the biggest oil fan outside of Alberta. And 
<sighs> Where do I begin? All right, I'll, I'll, I'll begin with my ending. Can we get this team to the playoffs? Perhaps I'm selfish, but Connor McDavid needs, the world needs to see this kid. I want to see him playing on a Saturday night, game seven, you know, versus Calgary for the conference championship. Oh, whatever. But all right, I'll move on, Reed. By the way, how was your summer? Very good. Awesome. All right, here we go. I'm looking, yes, I have notes. Number you called me out on that. But um, I'm out of the loop here. Let me ask you this, Reed. Have they figured out who's going to play with Connor? Because I swear, if you want, fire the GM and hire me. That kid needs one. I've said this to you before, but I'm going I'm to reiterate it. He needs ultra speed with him or ultra toughness to create space, one or the other. I would still like to see him play with Nuge. I think if they put a banging winger with those two, a big six-foot-two fast kid who creates space for those two, I think they'd score a goal a period. Um, so I'll bounce it to you, uh, Reed, and thank you for the call. Who, who, <clears throat> excuse me. Who, what is it looking like, Connor McDavid's line this year? Do we have any clue yet, or is it too early? Well, they haven't even had one practice yet, so it might be a little early. I think he'll play with Leon Dreisaitl. I think the other winger to start will be either Zach Cassian or James Neal. See? Now, they, let me opine on that. Dreisaitl's awesome. No, see, I would separate those two. I know they've had success. No, they haven't had success. They, they didn't make the playoffs. No, they didn't have success. So don't tell me him and Dreisaitl have had success. No, they didn't. They're, they're golfing in, in May. They made the, I, well, they like made the see, playoffs once with those guys on the same mm, not good enough, man. I'm a hockey guy, Boston. And by the way, the Pats are going to smoke Pittsburgh Sunday, sidebar. But um, I, w- I would put McDavid, obviously, first line, or any line. doesn't matter in hockey. You're going you're gonna to skate every third shift. Put McDavid with Nuge in a – Bakersfield is the AHL affiliate, correct? Yes. Who's – I want the youngest – Fastest, toughest kid in Bakersfield on McDavid's line why, with Nugent Hopkins. Why would you put a minor league player on the top line in the NHL? Because he's hungry. No like sense. you said earlier, because he's starving. I want players that are starving to play in the National Hockey League. Not guys who already signed a contract, Lucic, and like he was in Boston, could give a crap less. It's like the ice capades. Making $8 million a year doesn't care. I want a kid who's making minimum, who who's, wants to carve his teeth and show, show the world that he's ready to play in the best hockey league in the world. I want McDavid with Nugent Hopkins and a young, tough kid out of Bakersfield who's not afraid to fight, get physical, get dirty, and he's going to make the league minimum. Second line. Why wouldn't, you, why, why wouldn't you just give Cassian that chance then? He's in the last year of his contract. That is a good point. Perhaps yes. he ought to be then, yeah. Why? I mean, this, this covers all sports. You notice how people have great years and when they're in their option year? The last year of their contract. Scott, I got to run, buddy. We're going to do this a lot during the season. I got to go. Hey, I'll call you after game three, okay? I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, third game. All right, thanks, Scott. Scott in Boston making an unexpected preseason appearance here at Inside Sports. It's 724. We're back after the break.
Hi, this is Ryan Eugene Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Ched. Well, Scott from Boston has certainly made a name for himself on 630 Ched over the last year or so. A Lumley fan says, this Boston guy is awesome. Another texter simply says, Scott's a beauty. Mark says, I don't know how you deal with this guy from Boston. And Devin says, Reed, this guy sucks. Brian says, if all Boston fans were like Scott, I'd quit cheering for the Patriots, Red Sox, and Bruins. Boston has good teams in spite of guys like him. But Brian, all the Boston fans are like that. So now you have to quit cheering for those teams, Brian. (laughs) Another texture says, Boston Scott needs to chill. Love him, but wow. Uh, He has some good ideas. Calling up a minor league fighter to play on the Oilers' top line I don't think is one of them. Just my opinion. I'm often wrong myself. Get a little more on Bianca from the U.S. Open when we get back. Also, Oilers prospect Logan Day all coming up. Listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chen. Two minutes into the fourth quarter, Montreal leading BC 14-10. The Lions in the red zone, but looks like they're gonna have to settle for a field goal attempt. The Blue Jays trail the Rays 5-0 now into the ninth inning. Regina leading the Golden Bears 3-0 late in the first quarter in Canada West football after the first period at the downtown community arena. WHL preseason play, Oil Kings and Hitman tied 1-1. Dylan Gunther with the goal for the Oil Kings. You can text 630-630. James says, Reed, I'm a little torn on the U.S. Open tennis. Yeah, I'm cheering for Bianca, but time and age are catching up on Serena to get the record for me. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Major wins by a female. Well, I am not torn. I'm cheering for the Canadian. I am... Absolutely, cheering for the Canadian. To talk more about this, a gentleman who is in New York covering the U.S. Open tennis tournament from the National Post. Please welcome to the show, Scott Stinson. Scott, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing, Reed? I'm doing very well. It's nice to have you on the show, and uh, what a gem for you. You've wound up covering the the biggest story in the country here on the on the second weekend uh, in September. Uh, tell Just tell me a little bit about the vibe around Bianca, around the, the Canadian fans who, who, who might be there to follow this tournament. It must be pretty incredible. Yeah, it's actually been a bit funny the way the tournament has gone because there was quite a number of Canadians here in the early going, partly for Bianca and partly for the other Canadians who were in the tournament. Um, And I think also, you know, it starts, it's the last week of summer, so you get a lot of people taking holidays, doing a trip to New York, that kind of thing. Over the past few days, there's been a lot fewer of them, and I think a lot of that's down to the fact that 
um, you know, we were back into school year and that kind of thing. And, and by this point, no one really would have expected necessarily that there'd be any Canadians still alive in the U.S. Open. So a lot of those folks have moved on. So it's this kind of weird vibe where I know it's a huge deal back home and everyone's talking about it in Canada. Here, actually, at the U.S. Open, I mean, she's a finalist. Obviously, she's part of the story. But she's also playing Serena Williams. So the big news here and what everyone's sort of talking about from an American's perspective is like, can Serena get her 24th? Uh, you know, is this the year she finally wins a Grand Slam after having a baby in her fourth try at it? And so on and so forth. So it's been interesting. I mean, Bianca has, has definitely been one of the narratives of the way this tournament has unfolded. But she's also a bit of a side uh, story here relative to the big name on the marquee that she'll be facing tomorrow. Uh, you know, it, it was interesting, and I had some uh, co-workers mention this to me today when, when I came into work. They said, did you see that on-court interview with Pam Shriver after? Like, her first question was saying how she hadn't heard of her before this year. And I said, well, just being <laughs> honest, I mean, I mean, let's be honest. Uh, this is, yeah. Yeah, no, just, she's not wrong. I mean, it's weird. There's been a bit of that I've noticed. Uh, some people sort of saying, well, why isn't anyone giving Bianca any credit? And it's like... Well, no, they're just pointing out that, like, she was a nobody a year ago. She was, she finished last year, I think, 178th in the world. Um, she hadn't played in the main draw at three of the four Grand Slams. She had to qualify her way into an Australian Open tune-up event in New Zealand, which she then ended up making the final of. I mean, it's just been, a like, a remarkable run in terms of someone who had no experience playing against players at this level and just rolling through the WTA other than the period where she was out with a shoulder injury. So it's not just Pam Traver. It is, it is literally the opponents she's playing a lot of the times have never played her before either. And so um, that's been part of the story too. Like even through this run, the various people she's played are all people that she's never seen before and they haven't seen her. And she's still so new to this game that that, you know, as she works her way through a tournament, it's just one new opponent after another. So it's definitely part of, of why this is an interesting story. Um, you know, the tennis is a sport that every now and then does have somebody who has a bit of a breakout season, but the degree to which she has been, you know, gone from unheralded to a Grand Slam finalist is pretty remarkable. Watching last night, uh, the the second set, obviously she was down 5-2, yep. and it looked like for sure they were headed to a third set. And, and Benchett started making some mistakes, looked frustrated. She gave the thumbs up to somebody making noise in the crowd or whatever at some point. And one of the commentators said, this is New York. It's not a tennis crowd. It's an event crowd. I mean, you can't tell on TV, but what is... What is it like watching a match there? Like, are there distractions for players? Do you have fans who kind of just don't care about the etiquette? It's definitely uh, the most unruly tennis audience I've seen. And um, I think you'll probably see tomorrow in the final, it'll be a little more well-behaved. I, I think you'll get, like, the people who are more tennis diehards that have pre-bought tickets to the finals. Um, the other thing that happened last night was, you know, Serena's match was first, and then Bianca and Drescu and Belinda Bencic were on after, and I think a lot of people left, and so you got more people. Like, it's weird. There's there's definitely a vibe when an Arthur Ashe Stadium is half empty. It's almost, like, more distracting to the players because you can hear individual people yell easier 
you can see them move a bit more if they're scuffling around and getting out of their seats, which they do at a fairly alarming uh, rate in considering it's a big-time tennis tournament. But, yeah, it's definitely a bit weird and a bit unruly and a bit, uh, you know, not the genteel, quiet, golf clap sort of uh, audience you often associate with tennis. But I think that the environment that Bianca Andreescu dealt with a few matches ago against the American Taylor Townsend is about as worse as it's going to get, as bad as it's going to get. And I think it'll be, other than the fact that everybody will be cheering for Serena, I think they'll be doing so in a more conventional Tennessee, uh, you know, loud cheers, celebrating good shots, but not so much of the, uh, the tactics sort of meant to throw her opponent off. Scott Stinson from the National Post joining us tonight at Inside Sports covering the U.S. Open. Bianca Andreescu goes for the Women's Championship tomorrow against Serena Williams. Just from from your experience covering B- Bianca, I, I mean, look, she's she's Canadian, so Canadian fans want her to be the uh, the the sweet Canadian who says sorry and thank you all the time. <laughs> just tell me a little bit about about yeah. her as a, as a person, though, just from your experience of, of getting to talk to her. Well, she definitely is, uh, you know, quiet and shy and demure. I don't, I don't think that has been something I've experienced really at all with her. Her, the personality you see on the court is what you get. She's uh, a bit brash. She's got a bit of a swagger to her uh, while she's playing. She's not, she's not cocky in interview sessions or anything like that. Like she definitely stays on the on the to the side of saying, you know, I think everybody has a chance, and I just want to play my best tennis. She's not like. You know, I'm going out there and I should win, sort of thing. She's not. She's not making any bold predictions or calling a shot or anything like that. But she's definitely, you know, a kid who is confident and who says what she thinks and doesn't sort of go through the cliches of, uh, you know, one game at a time and give it 110 percent and that kind of thing. She's a bit more honest. And there's been a few times in this, you know, with this big U.S. Open spotlight on her, where she's been a little too blunt. You know, like basically saying words that one is not supposed to say on live microphones and realizing after the fact that, uh, you know, you probably shouldn't say that when you're on ESPN or, or whatever. So that's been a bit of a, I think, just kind of underscores her youth and her inexperience. And, you know, frankly, I hope she doesn't lose that part of her personality, but maybe we'll see as she has more seasoning as a professional and gets a bit more used to having the microphones and the cameras in her face. Maybe she'll be a little more, a little less uh, blunt in future uh, opportunities. All right. Well, Scott, thanks for giving us a, a first-hand perspective. This has been a, a great story to follow for sure. Enjoy covering the championship match tomorrow, man. Hope we can talk to you again down the road. All right. Anytime, man. Have a good one. Scott Stinson from the National Post checking in from New York. Bianca Andrescu against Serena Williams tomorrow for the U.S. Open Championship. That'll be fun to watch. As uh, I tell you that, Montreal gets a touchdown to go up 2013 on the BC Lions with 7.43 left in the fourth quarter. Point after touchdown still to come as uh, the Lions are going to have to come back to avoid yet another loss. And uh, the U of A Golden Bears on the board with a safety in Regina, Canada West football. It is 3-2. The Rams leading the Golden Bears about three and a half minutes into the second quarter. We keep you updated on that one. And uh, the Blue Jays still hanging on. Let's double-checking this here. 5 uh, nothing. Blue Jays trailing Tampa Bay in the ninth. Elvis on line one. Hey, Elvis. Hey, Reed. You know what? I, I, 
love the show as, as always. But I was listening to that last interview, and a very, very good interview. But you know what? The biggest thing for me is when she was playing Townsend, people forget that the fans were cheering for her to double fault. Which right. she had her first fault, so, so they, were, uh, they were hoping Bianca would double fault. And then what got me last night is when you, when you said when uh, uh, the girl she was playing last night really lost her cool and started clapping in the air and stuff. Yeah. I think New Yorkers are just New Yorkers. It's like at uh, Beth Page Black when they have, they have the major championship there. Right. And they couldn't believe the way the fans were acting in the crowd. But you know what? I've never watched a full tennis match in my life. And I've now watched four because of that young girl. Well, that's awesome. It's it's uh, it's it's fun to watch. It's a very uh, I, I've I've watched more than four tennis matches. Like I kind of come in and out. It's a really interesting sport because it's such a sport of momentum. The games are so quick that you know one service break sometimes, especially in men's because there aren't there aren't as many service breaks in men's. One service break can can really change it around and. Yeah, I mean, down 5-2 and winning the set, that's that's pretty unusual. It's going to be fun tomorrow. Oh, and you know what? The the, the, cra- the craziest thing is uh, I, I was just hoping that she'd play her again because my first first match that I watched in full was when she was in the Rogers Cup and then when I wish her and, uh, her and Serena would have had more of a better match at, uh, in Canada. And But now we get it. We get it tomorrow at 2 o'clock, and that's going to be something special. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, Reed. Thanks for giving me the line, bud. See, Elvis, that's Elvis, 780-496-0063. All right, we're going to take uh, one final timeout. A little more on the Oilers' rookie game tomorrow. You'll get to know one of their prospects on D, Logan Day, when we get back. Subscribe to the Inside Sports Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. This is 630 Chad Inside Sports. Well, I know that's a Van Halen song, but whenever I hear that riff, I hear Phil Hartman's voice, and I see Adam Sandler and Chris Farley in one of the best Saturday Night Live commercials of all time. If you crave a beer and you're gay, reach for a Schmitz gay. Oh, very good stuff. Do you remember that commercial, Kellen? Yeah, I do. Uh, I didn't see it when it first aired, obviously. I think I, I was a little young when that happened, I, but I, saw it when I it watched first it in reruns, so there very we go. Very funny. Phil Hartman, the late Phil Hartman, great, great voice. They always use him as the announcer on Saturday Night Live. Montreal up 21-13 on the BC Lions. Four and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Uh, been a fun show talking a little bit about Bianca Andreescu with Scott Stinson in the last segment. So the U.S. Open Women's Championship goes uh, tomorrow. That'd be awesome to see a Canadian win a Grand Slam. Oilers rookies in Red Deer tomorrow. Taking on the Calgary Flames rookies. It is at 7. I will be there, so I'll keep you updated on the 630 Ched Twitter account, on my own Twitter account, which is at Reed Wilkins, and I'll file a post-game story to the website as well, and you'll hear uh, post-game interviews on our news and sportscast Saturday night, Sunday morning as well, so that's how you can follow along with that game. We'll be keeping an eye on defenseman Logan Day, 25, almost 25 years of age. He turns 25 on September 19th, played Division Three at Endicott College, and then got noticed by the Oilers, an AHL deal last year set a record for most points in a season by a Bakersfield rookie defenseman. He had 34, 
and he comes from Seminole, Florida, and I talked to him about that today. Logan, let's start with the geography lesson for the guy from northern Alberta. Where is Seminole, Florida? Uh, it's near, uh, it's right in the middle of the state. It's near uh, Tampa, so been a Tampa guy for uh, all these years, so it's been good. So was hockey your first sport, sport when you were a kid? Yeah, I was on the ice at three, had a, a rink I was in all, all my youth, and uh, probably there five, six times a, a week, so had fun there. Who got you into it? Uh, it was my dad at a young age. I uh, went to the mall and skated on the ice at the mall and said I'd never get on the ice again at two, and uh, a year later he couldn't keep me off, so it's been, uh, it's been a journey to say the least, but growing up in Florida, you got to hit the malls once in a while to get on the ice. Were there, were you kind of like in the minority with your classmates and your and your peers? Were a lot of guys doing football or basketball or? Yeah, it was. I I tried baseball. I tried football. It just never really stuck with me. And uh, it was always the odd one in class who played hockey. And every other two weeks, I was up in the Northeast playing in tournaments. So I was missing a lot of school, and I was one of the only ones. So it was it was fun skipping class, but. Uh, at the same time, everybody thought you were a little different. So, Well, it's working out for you, and obviously uh, you went to Endicott College. That's in Mass? Yep, north, uh, about 40 minutes north of Boston. What was the experience like playing there? Uh, it was great. I mean, I had uh, my first two years in school where uh, they were tough for me, to say the least. Um, but, uh, you know, the coach there and uh, gave me uh, an opportunity to play, and... Uh, all, all my teammates were great and accepted me, and uh, we just worked and worked and just kept getting better every every day, every week, and uh, had a good career there, so it was fun. If you know, obviously, I'm sure you had aspirations to play pro. So, did you have to weigh like, okay, playing Div three as opposed to maybe a bigger school? Like, how did that all come together in your mind? Um, I was at I was at Division one my first two years. Uh, you know. It, that didn't work out, and uh, I just felt like I never got the opportunity to, to play. And, you know, Division Three gets a bad rep, but, uh, you know, it's not bad hockey, and I got my chance to play, and Coach played me a lot, and uh, just like I said, kept getting better and better, and uh, just keep working hard, and it doesn't matter where you play. So, When did you first start talking to the Oilers organization and kind of seem realistic to you that you'd get a chance with the Condors? Um, so my my coach in juniors was Scott Harlow, who's a uh, he's a scout for them. And uh, by the my second year at Endicott was my senior year, but I still had a year left. And I talked to my coach, and uh, there was a there was a few opportunities I had at the beginning of that year. He said, if you have a good year, you uh, something's going to come for you. So I talked with him, uh, talked to my uh, agent, and he said, you know, just have a good year, and we'll see if we can get you somewhere. And uh, called Scott Harlow and he's like yeah I'll come out and watch and watch the game he said all right I'll, I'll see if I can try to get you a spot there for a couple of games at the end of the year and uh, went there and uh, the guys were great they didn't really care where I came from uh, they welcomed me with open arms and the rest is history. Well and a pretty good season for you last year with the Condors how come do you, th do you think you were able to be so successful and, and get the points that you did? Um, it, start, it starts with the whole organization I think I mean up at the big club, it was a little tough, but uh, down there we had a new coach, a uh, whole new coaching staff, and they uh, developed a winning winning culture that was different than what they were used to down there, and uh, all the guys bought in the, from the leaders down to however many rookies we had, which was a lot, 
and uh, we all bought in and uh, you know it was successful I think for the whole team and uh, hopefully we can come to camp this year and bring uh, that winning attitude up here and challenge these the guys up here to you know to get better here too all right here's the tough question give me a scouting report of yourself uh, uh, I say oh no um, what's your biggest strength I I think my biggest strength would be like get, getting up in the rush and playing playing on the attack you know today's game it's so fast and the, the less defense you play the the chances that you're going to win are going to be better. So I like to get up in the rush, uh, keep pucks alive, break out quick, and uh, always keep my feet moving and keep the uh, pace of play high. That's Logan Day. We'll see where it goes for him on the blue line for the Bakersfield Condors this season. Well, uh, I mean, he could be called up by the Oilers, but I think most likely to play for the Condors. 34 points in 64 games last season. All right, the Blue Jays have lost 5-0 to Tampa. The Golden Bears football team now trailing the Regina Rams 6-5 with four and a half minutes left in the second quarter. Oil Kings still in a 1-1 tie with the Calgary Hitmen. That's a WHL preseason game being played at the downtown community rink about uh, five and a half minutes into the second quarter there. And uh, Friday Night Football, 2.40 to go. BC just kicked a field goal. The Alouettes leading the Lions 21-16. 21-16 Montreal up on BC. Don't forget the Eskimos are welcoming kids to Clark Field tomorrow for free pregame family fun. Gates open at 3.30. Stay open until kickoff at 5. Admission is free with a game ticket. The Eskimos mascots are going to be there. The Paw Patrol is going to be there. Family Channel backstage stars Josh and Julia will be there. I still don't know who they are, but they're going to be there. There will be a balloon artist, face painters, and I. This I too bad I can't go see this. I'm going to Ritter. An 80-foot America Ninja Warrior inflatable obstacle course. Well, that's right up your alley. Sounds incredible. And of course, we're broadcasting the game on 6:30. Chad, 3:30 for the countdown to kick off. It starts at five. Esks and stamps. Fun week. Really appreciate you all for listening and for calling in and texting. Always nice to hear from you. Dave Campbell's the producer of the show. Kellen Kennedy, your studio operator this evening. My name is Reed Wilkins. Have a great weekend. Friday. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.